Father, we just come to you this morning. We just thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, that you have given us the freedom, the strength, the life, the place to worship you, to come together in your name, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you once again, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you. We just continue to pray, Lord, everywhere in the world, your people will be able to gather in public or in secret. They still will be able to gather. Even if it is just two, they will be able to gather and encourage one another. Because we know, Lord, your coming is near. And I pray, Father, this morning, even as we are here, you would cleanse our ears with your precious blood that we may hear what you have for us. You would anoint our eyes with balm that we might see. Hearing ears, seeing eyes, believing heart. That's what we ask for today, Lord. Speak to us this morning. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you were there last Sunday, and if you were in there, the messages are there on the website. We saw last Sunday and on Wednesday. When is that we really see God? In different perspectives, little by little, but when we really, really get to know who He is. That's like when our eyes are really opened. We saw last Sunday from Luke chapter 24 about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now it came to pass. He was planning to go away. They humbled him to come inside, sit with them. Then he took the bread. He sat at the table with them. Then he took bread. If you were there last Sunday, you will see everywhere in Scripture, Christ's order is the same. He took the bread, he blessed, he broke it, and he gave it to them. That's the order. He takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him. When did they recognize him? When did they know who he was? Verse 35 says, they went back to Jerusalem, they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Understand that. Everyone is going through different, different situations in your life. Either you are in the taking process, the little ones, the taking process. Maybe some of you are in the blessing stage. But there will be a stage if you continue where not you are broken by circumstances. No, he breaks you. You can be broken by circumstances and your eyes still be shut. People who are broken by circumstances and whose eyes are shut become like Naomi. The eyes are blinded. She's broken. Famine ten years. Husband is dead. Two sons are dead. Her name is pleasant. But her confession is, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Heart is full of anger and bitterness. Because circumstances can break you. That doesn't mean your eyes are opened. When God breaks you, your eyes are opened. Ruth is a lady who has gone through the same circumstances. But her eyes are opened.
because she was broken by God. Okay, so understand that. That's how it happens. We need our eyes to be open because sometimes, if he doesn't, or not sometimes, if he doesn't open our eyes, we will not perceive him as he really is. In Revelation chapter 3, to the last day's church, the Laodicean church, this is what God says. You say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing. That is their own assessment about self-evaluation paper. If you gave a self-evaluation, this thing, and told the Laodicean church to write, what do you think about yourself? This is what they would say. I am rich. I have become wealthy. and have need of nothing. But Jesus says, you do not know. You are wretched. You are miserable. You are poor. And you are blind. He says, you don't know your spiritual reality. You are blind. You are blind. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, and the shame of your nakedness not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. That you may really see, he says. Okay. Remember, when do we see? The Laodicean church does not see, because that's a church that is not broken. The church in Philadelphia sees because that's a church that is broken. If you look into the history revealed through scripture and church history, all the people who wrote scripture, starting with Moses, were all broken by God before they could see him and write scripture. You will not see almost nobody who has written scripture, who has not broken by God. So the theology they are writing about has come from open eyes. Open eyes. You take the entire New Testament, everyone who wrote any letter in the New Testament, almost everyone except probably for John had to die for their faith. They were all persecuted, broken, eyes were open, and therefore they could Write about God as he really is. That's the same truth about the church for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Every nation they were persecuted. And when we have great, great men and women who have written their experiences, whether it is 500 years back, 600 years back, or even from China, Watchman Nian, or Hofer, Bonhoeffer from Germany, all these great ones, you will see they were persecuted. And they have written because their eyes were opened. Then around 300 years back, a set of broken people, persecuted people, got into a ship. They were looking for a safe place where they could actually worship. They were called the Pilgrim Fathers. They went to and found this place. Not found, they went to United States of America. And over a series of wars and all history, a nation was established. A nation was established. That's why that nation has a covenant call. In God we trust, a nation under God. And if you noticed, that's the only nation in human history where technically Christians were never persecuted. They never persecuted. Not Mexico. Mexico, it's terrible. Thousands and hundreds and thousands of Christians who came out of Catholic have been chucked out of regions. They have lost their homes. They have been chucked out. They are like refugees. All around, except the United States of America. 
Praise God that he protected them. But what is the issue here? The issue is today, in the past 50 years, almost all theology people prescribe to comes from there, from an unbroken church. All the preachers you see on TV are people who have never been broken because they don't even know what persecution is. Therefore, they haven't ever experienced God as He really is. They only talk about one side without understanding the other side at all because it's an experience. It's an experience. They have never seen the other side. They have never experienced, but they will. They will. In the last days, they will experience. Then their theology will change. Every nation in Europe has gone through persecution, including England. Every nation. And out of that, their theology came. So understand what you believe. What you believe. That's what we learned from scripture on Sunday. When we met again last Wednesday, we saw two blind men. And Jesus encountered. Jesus goes inside into the room and they follow him. And he asked this question. They are blind and they are crying for mercy. And he asked, when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, do you believe I am able to do this? Jesus asked the question, do you believe I am able to do this? Do you believe? When you come to God, you must believe. Do you believe? They said, yes, Lord. What happened? Then he touched their eyes saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. How are our eyes open? Only according to our faith. Okay. You will see, their eyes were opened, but their sight was in accordance to their faith. Therefore, he will tell them something, and they will straight away go disobey it, and go away from him. And you will also see in the same Gospels, you will see another blind man called Bartimaeus also receives his sight. But scripture says he followed Jesus to Jerusalem. So everyone receives their sight according to your faith. And according to your sight is how you will follow him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 we saw on Wednesday God says, My people shall walk by faith. We shall walk and not by sight. Not This is talking about spiritual vision. How do we see? So the question Jesus asks is, do you believe I can do this? What's the difference between God and the world? The world doesn't ask you that question. The world asks you the question, do you believe you can do this? God asks us the question, do you believe I can do this? The world says everything, half the stuff you get or 90% of the stuff you get on WhatsApp groups and Twitter groups is all believe in yourself. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. So the question the world asks you is motivational speakers all over there is that you can do it. But that's not what the question God asks. The question God asks us is, do you believe I can do it? And scripture says nothing is impossible for the man or woman who believes. It's not believes in himself. The one who believes in God. So understand, it's fundamentally different. God asked the question, do you believe I can do it? The world asked the question, do you believe 
that you can do it. And these are theology from Jerusalem and Babylon. Absolute opposites. So be very careful what your faith is in. Faith is trust in God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing. It's not faith comes from the word of God. Hearing comes from the word of God. That's why we preach the word of God so that you hear and you will start hearing the voice of God. And then Hebrews eleven six very familiar for us now. Without faith, it is what? In this, you should circle impossible and please. It's impossible. Asambhav hai. Vishwas ke bina parameshwar ko prasan karna asambhav hai. Impossible. It's not possible at all. So when scripture says it is impossible, don't even try it. It's impossible to please God without faith. You want to please God. Then scripture says, for he who comes to God first do first what? Believe. Believe what? He is the same yesterday, today, and for he is, not he was, or will be, he is. Forever he is. He is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He must believe that he is. And he actually rewards those who diligently seek him. That's the key. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. So the question is, who is he? Anyone who comes to God must believe he is. And the question people will ask, yeah, I heard that, I read that, but who is he? What is he like? This is the quest of life. This is what eternal life is. For many people, eternal life means when I die, I go to heaven. And in my father's house, there are many, many rooms and big table with many, many things. Lots of food on it. Okay, It's okay when you are in Sunday school, you learn that. But if you carry that into adult life, there is something drastically wrong. Because you haven't understood either who he is, what is he like, what eternity is like. In John chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you send. This is life. What is eternal life? That we know God and know Christ. We know God through Christ. We know Christ, therefore we know God. That is eternal life. Who is he? The more you know, the more of eternal life you have. You have. That's what eternal life is. Not for living forever and ever. People will live forever and ever in heaven. And people will live forever and ever in hell. So eternity is guaranteed to everybody, but not this eternity. This eternity is those who seek Him, who diligently seek Him. We are saved by grace through faith. So this morning, 8th of October, in another three weeks or something, the world will celebrate 500 years of the Protestant Reformation. The greatest event that ever took place in the last 500 years was one Catholic monk rebelled against the entire church system and the courage to nail 95 questions, theses on the door of that church at a place called Worms. Okay. And one of the statements he makes is sola scripture. Only scripture. One of the statements Martin Luther made 500 years ago was, a simple layman, let me quote it, 
a simple layman armed with scripture is mightier greater than the mightiest pope without it from a ex catholic priest saying the simplest layman armed with the word of god is greater than the mightiest pope without the word of god one of the things if you really study church history which is interesting if you study church history is that in the history of the catholic church of 2000 years there have been actually no theologians among the popes they don't know the scripture and a layman can stand on the strength of god's word so the struggle churches various denominations and christians all face is connected with this with the word of god our struggle is with this take this away we are all one we talk about unity of love unity of love now you can look at each other because you all been here and been grown in the same word and says i love you with the love of the lord yeah but you cannot go to another church and where there is no unity of faith that comes through truth and says i love you with the love of the lord no you cannot because truth divides then unites So Galatians 5:6 I did not give it over this says nothing matters neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters the only thing that matters is faith working through love they go hand in hand understand it is the word of god in hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 in this last days god has spoken to us by his son he has spoken in the ancient days he pre- spoke through all the prophets and everybody he spoke but in the last days whom did he speak to he himself came down as his son and he has spoken to us through his son in second peter chapter 2 20 and 21 peter will say yeah it's second peter chapter 1 sorry chapter 1 not chapter uh, knowing this that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation in verse 21 for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of god spoke as they were moved by the holy spirit entire scripture did not come from man it came through man but by the holy spirit scripture that's what peter says about scripture paul will say in second timothy all scripture is given by inspiration of god all scripture god has inspired this 40 plus authors to write the entire scripture that's why the writer of hebrews will say in hebrews 2 and verses 1 to 3 therefore we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away we will drift away keep on paying attention to scripture to what we have heard for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward Verse 3 How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which was at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him he says scripture has come through angels prophets disciples and the Lord himself that is scripture and he says you can discard it only at your own peril 
You see, Jesus was very clear. Well, let, let's look at Jesus when he walked on earth. He was very clear and he divided the whole testament like the Jewish theologians into three parts. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. He said, when I spoke to you, I only spoke to you from your scriptures. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's how they divided scripture. Law of Moses, prophets and the Psalms. And when he came into this world, this is his declaration. What did Jesus declare in Hebrews chapter 10? Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will. How do you know Jesus is Jesus? Many people have died on the cross. Millions were crucified on the cross by the Romans. How do you know this one person who died on the cross is Jesus Christ? Because according to the scriptures. We have nothing else to stand on but the scriptures. But the scripture is enough. Everything Jesus did, everything is dependent on this book that God has given to us. So when Paul makes his great declaration in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. What do you stand on? Paul will say, I'm not preaching my gospel. I'm preaching a gospel that I received. It's not my gospel. I received and I'm passing it on to you. And you received. And what do you stand on? You stand on the gospel, the word of God, by which also you are saved. If you stand, if you receive the gospel, you are saved. If you stand on the gospel, you are continue to be saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You have to hold fast to the word which you have heard. Otherwise, your faith is in vain because proof of the faith is that you're holding fast to the word. Verse 3, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. He says, I didn't deliver anything of my own. I had to receive it myself, which I delivered to you. What is that? Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Otherwise, it's worthless. Many people have died. But the difference is Christ died according to the scriptures. And he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Entire Christianity stands on this. It stands on this. Everything stands on scripture alone. So everything you and I ask, do, confirm with, has to revert back to this. So what does scripture say? About Jesus, which with the portion we saw in Luke 24. He said, were written in the law of Moses, prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he opened their eyes and they understood the scriptures. Ask, pray, this is what we pray or should pray every time we read scriptures. Lord, open my understanding that I might comprehend your scriptures. You know, the same scriptures. And Jesus, we have only a short account of what Jesus preached in the four Gospels. Very short, very, very short. John says things he taught cannot be recorded. Very little. But Jesus quoted from 24 of the 39 books of the Old Testament in his four Gospels. He must have quoted from everything, but it is not recorded. What is recorded, the few verses he recorded, 24 of the 39 of the Old Testament books, Jesus quoted, meaning Jesus believed this is scripture and he quoted from it. 
In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he made them at the beginning, made them male and female? What is that? He goes right to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 and said, God created them male and all the questions that people are asking today. It doesn't care what your body feels like. God made you either male or female. That's what you are. All the questions with quotes and I'm taking science as evidence. Scripture is very clear. Jesus said, haven't you read? In Genesis chapter 1. Matthew 19 and verse 5. He will say, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two. Where did he was quoting from? Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall live. Jesus believed in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. But today churches and theologians have changed the whole thing. But he believed. And he said that is scripture. That is scripture. John chapter 17 and verse 17. Jesus is telling us. Do you believe scripture? If you believe, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You can be set apart for a holy use only by truth. You are saved by truth and you are sanctified by truth. In John chapter 8 verse 31 to 32, he says to those Jews who believed him. You believe me? He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He says, the criteria for you being a disciple of Jesus, you have to live, abide in my word. Then when you abide in my word, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You have to abide. If you don't abide, the truth cannot make you free. But if you abide, the truth shall set you free. When Jesus and the Pharisees, what was the reasons of conflict with Jesus and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, was constant conflict. The reason? Matthew chapter 15. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, they are from Jerusalem, he is from Nazareth. They are from the big city, he is from a little village. And both are teaching the word. And what do they say? Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not Wash their hands when they eat bread. What is the issue? The Pharisees are saying they are not keeping our traditions. What is Jesus' response? Jesus' response is, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your traditions? Many, many churches have traditions. Many of those traditions actually transgress the commandment of God. This issue has been there for centuries. The Pharisees come and say, why are you transgressing our tradition? Jesus says, why are you transgressing my father's commandments? Through your traditions. Why do you break the commandment of God? So for 2000 years, we had the traditions of the major church. Till 500 years back of the Catholic church. Then the Protestant church began. Then they had their own traditions. Then the Lutherans came. They had the Lutheran traditions. Then the Baptists came. The Baptists also had their specific Baptist traditions. Then the Pentecostals came. Every Pentecostal church has their own tradition. And some of our traditions, we transgress the word of God, the commandment of God. We have to revert back all the time and say, what does the word of God say? 
Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 to 9. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. When did Isaiah prophesy about them? 600 years earlier, he is talking about that generation and also our generation. These people draw near to me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Then, in vain they worship me. How do they worship me? In vain. Why is their worship vain? Because their teaching has doctrines, the commandments of men. What are the commandments of God? When does our worship become vain? When does our life become vain? When does our service to God become vain? Because we are taught traditions of men and not the commandments of God. So Isaiah had prophesied, he said, 600 years back. So where does the fundamental struggle of everybody sitting here come? To accept Sola Scripture. I will stand on the Word of God. Everything, like I said, has to stand on this. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. Not even a dot. Even when I am making these statements, just think. For how many is the Word of God so serious? How many will bank your life on the Word of God? You may say it with your lips. But I'm not talking about that. In reality, in life, where you will say that when every other voice is in opposition to the word of God, I know I will stand solely on the word of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. Every voice. Yet he stood on his father's word alone. In Psalm 138, verse 2, now we know it very well. Scripture says, David says, yeah. And verse 2, I have turned to your holy mountain. And praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. All your name. So the question comes, where does my faith come from? Jesus used scripture alone. See, he used illustrations to explain scripture. But he was not a storyteller. He used scripture alone. He stood on the authority of the word alone. To confront Satan, a supernatural being, an invisible spiritual being, who knows everything, not like God, but he sees things which we don't see. He confronted him with the word of God alone and said, that's enough, it's written. It's written. And used one of the books which we never read. He used Deuteronomy. I had 39 books, he said, I won't use any one of them. I will use one book which people don't read and finish you off. It is written, it is written, it is written. He used scripture to answer the enemies who were there in every meeting of his. There were disciples and enemies in every meeting. They always came to trap him. And what did he use? He used scripture. In Matthew 22, verse 29, he said, Jesus answered them and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. You are mistaken. Why? You don't know scriptures. When he preached in Nazareth the first time, he said, scripture is fulfilled. When he rode into Jerusalem the last time, it was so that scripture would be fulfilled. When he was betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples, it was so that scripture would be fulfilled. When they put him to death, it was so that scripture would be fulfilled. And when they chose the form of death that he should be hung on a cross, it was that scripture would be fulfilled. And when he was hanging on the cross, 
When he opens his mouth and quotes, he quotes from Psalm 31 and Psalm 32, so that scripture would still be fulfilled. He absolutely, totally, even in death, trusted his father's word, the written scriptures. He never quoted from any of the apocryphal books. You know the extra books which are there in the Catholic Bible? He never quoted from any one of them. Not even in a single occasion. His appeal was to scripture and scripture alone. If you allow the few teachings of Jesus available to us in the four Gospels, he will quote 179 times from the Old Testament. You know what all he called it? He called the Bible, the commandments of God. He called the Bible, the word of God. And when he repeats a psalm of David, he repeats a psalm. When the scribes and the Pharisees come to trap him, he will repeat a psalm of David from in Matthew 22. This is how he questions them with scripture. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? He didn't ask them, What do you think about me? What do you think about Christ? You will not talk about Christ, right? What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? They said the son of David. He said, okay. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. They quotes David's psalm, but listen to what he says. He didn't say what David said. He's, yeah, no, no. How then does David in, in the spirit? He said, it was not David speaking. To the spirit of my father speaking through David. It was not David who spoke. It was my father who spoke through David. So what do you have to say about it? We believe in this. Absolutely. Because he believed in this. Absolutely. Sola scripture. So whenever you have doubts, go to scripture. When God said he made us male and female, then be male, your sex of your birth. Don't try to change like in US and European countries. You're born a male, stay a male. You're born a female, stay a female. Be masculine, be feminine, like I said in the wedding. Masculine and feminine are characteristics which God put in. Stay masculine, stay feminine. Why? Because it is written, male and female, he made them. If in Genesis 2, 14 or 15, you don't have to turn there. If God said about marriage, it is not good for man to be alone. Marriage was God's idea. It was not man's idea. And marriage between man and woman was God's idea. It's scripture. It was never between two men or two women. Marriage was always between two people and not three. Never three. Jesus said it was not that way from the beginning. That should we had a baby dedication today. Why is life so precious? Why is the believing church, not the compromised church, the believing church always stood up for the sanctity of life and has said no? Babies cannot be aborted. The one, the minute you know you're pregnant, the baby is conceived, you cannot abort. Why? Why? Because God said so. In Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, scripture says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You're not a mistake. Your parents must have made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. Even if you are out of wedlock, they may have sinned, but you 
are not a mistake. Because even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. In Isaiah 44 and verse 24, Thus is the Lord your Redeemer, He who formed you from the womb. That's why the believing church always stands up and says, Why do you believe abortion is wrong? Because it is written. He knew me even before I was formed. I was formed by him. In Isaiah 49 and verse 15, Can a woman forget a nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. Yet I will not forget I will not forget. She says, I know you from the womb. In Psalm 71 and verse 6, By you I have been upheld from birth. You are he who took me out of my mother's womb. My prayer shall be continually of you. God says, I know you. In the womb, outside the womb. In another place, he'll say, Till your gray hairs, till your death, I am the one who carries you from the womb to the tomb. I am the one who carries you. That's why we believe life is precious. And therefore, we did never subscribe to abortion, which is a culture of death. Instead, we tell, we believe in a culture of life. So we do not base, oppose abortion on feelings or circumstances or signs, but sola scripture. That's what God said. This is who I am. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Why do we do not believe in child baptism? We didn't sprinkle the baby. Why? Because it is written. It is written. In Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 16, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized. To get baptized, what do you need to do first? You need to believe. Can a baby believe? He who believes. The first time mass baptism took place, Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, first you need to repent and believe. Can a child be repent? No. Repent and let every one of you be baptized. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added. Before to be baptized, they had to receive the word. Can Ira receive the word? No. Cannot. So if you haven't heard the word first and believed and repented, then you cannot get baptized. That is scripture. Sola scripture. It doesn't matter what the tradition of whichever church you came here from. It doesn't matter. Scripture stands on its own and his word is forever settled in the heavens. The first baptism that took place, all those who heard. The second baptism that takes place in the Bible in Acts chapter 8 is an Ethiopian eunuch. Philip opened his mouth, beginning at this scripture, preached whom to him? Jesus. Now Philip's eyes have been opened. He understands what scripture is. Scripture is about Jesus Christ. So from Moses onwards, he showed the Ethiopian eunuch, this is about Jesus. The Christ of God. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders from being baptized? Can you baptize me? Is there anything stopping me from baptized? What Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to be stopped and he baptized him. Did he have to believe to get baptized? Yes. The third baptism recorded over there 
is in Acts chapter 10 in a Samaritan, Samaritan home, in Cornelius' home, among the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking this word, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. There God had to change the order because these were all Gentiles. The first Gentiles were getting into the church. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that they should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we are? Did they hear the word? Did they get baptized in the Holy Spirit in this case first? That's not the usual order. Did they hear? Did they believe? Did they get baptized? Yes, that's the order. In Acts chapter 16 in Philippi, when the jailer, when the jail opens, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This is one of the things which people will use. No, his whole household was baptized. Watch carefully. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. They preached. Oh, baptize me. He said, wait, before you pray, we need to preach the gospel to you. Even in a setting, at midnight hour, the jail is open. The jailer comes out. Paul and Silas comes out. What are they having? They're having a gospel service first. He preaches the gospel to them. Then he took them the same hour that night, washed their stripes. Why do you think this is written there in between? And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now you should, who were in his house and they were baptized. Should be right. Why did he put this thing in? Strange, right? The reason this is in God is to showing us when he heard the gospel, he repented what he did to them. Sign of repentance, he took them and washed their back. And then they baptized them. Those who heard, those who believed were baptized. Then you have Crispus in Acts chapter 18. And verse 8, the Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So we cannot change God's order. It doesn't matter what any denomination must say. God's order is very clear. You preach the gospel, you hear the gospel, you are convicted of by the Spirit, you repent, you believe, then you are baptized. So we don't baptize children. We don't baptize children. We dedicate children. And we saw to dedicate children, again we had to go to scripture. Why do we dedicate our children? Okay, There are two kinds of sanctification. One, you are set apart, sanctified after you are saved. And there is a sanctification hoping you will be saved. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 14. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Does that make him holy? No. God is saying if the unbelieving wife walks like a belie- the believing wife acts, behaves like a believing wife should do according to scripture, your unbelieving husband could get saved. So he, there are two unbelieving people living here. There are two unbelieving people living here. There's two unbelieving people living here. And there is one unbelieving and believing. This one is set apart because he has a testimony of Christ before his eyes every day in his home. So he is set apart. He has a chance to get saved. That's what scripture is meaning. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. They are holy. They are set apart. They are not saved, but they are set apart for God's use. 
That's what Paul will tell about Timothy. The faith which was there in your grandmother and your mother, not your father and grandfather. Because they were Greeks and unbelievers. Your mother and your grandmother very clearly divides. One side of your family is unbelieving, one side of your family is believing. There could have been chance to go both ways. Both ways. But usually this is what happens. If the mothers believe, the children follow. If the, even if the fathers don't believe. But where the mothers are unbelievers, the children will go that way. Because the building of the house is given to the mother. Because children hardly see the father. What they see is the mother. As they are growing up, they see the mother is always there with them. That is why the primacy of children coming to the Lord is in the hands of the mother. Because they observe and see the mother's faith. Not very rarely the father. The father is out. Father is out. So you go back to scripture always and see what does scripture have to say about it and don't put it on feelings. For Jesus, scripture could not be violated. In John chapter 10 and verse 35, he, he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken. Heaven and earth will pass away. Scripture will not pass away. It will stand. So as we grow in faith, then only we will grow in grace. We grow in grace, we will grow in faith. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who is he? Who is he? We need to, anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. But who is he? What is your understanding about who God is? Did it come from scripture or did it come from TV? Did you test every preacher? With the word of God, did you test them out or just listened and your ears were so itching that you took down everything and said, wow, he's so great. Did you test it out? You read First Thessalonians and listen to what Paul talks of the Thessalonians. says, you received the word of God with joy in the midst of tribulation, he said. You received the midst of tribulation. When the word of God came to you, Thessalonica, all those who accepted had to go through hell in Thessalonica. But you received and now the whole world knows about your faith. You received our word as servants of God, not as servants of God, but as if God himself was speaking. That's what it says about Thessalonica. Then in the book of Acts, it says the Bereans were more noble than Thessalonians. Think about that. You read First Thessalonians and say, wow, what a church, the way they received the word. Then the book of Acts, it says the Bereans were smarter than you because they checked the word I preached every day with the scriptures to see whether it agreed, because the Bereans said, Sola Scripture. Sola Scripture. Do you test? Do we test? Older people, do you test? Do you test? Or it's all years. You have a problem in your life, and immediately hearing there is such a meeting coming, and you're going over there, because it's your problem. It's not, you're not going to the Word. The answer is not in a meeting. The answer is in the Word of God. God has given us nothing else. And the word himself became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is he? The scriptures reveal. Who is he? That's what scripture is talking about. Knowledge of Jesus Christ. In James chapter 4 and verse 6, scripture says, He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what we need. Who is the humble? Then the problem is, who is the humble? The humble are those who, I put three adjectives there, who are willingly, cheerfully, obedient to the word of God. Three adjectives. Those are the humble. Humble ones are not who walk like this. Half of India walks like this. They are not humble. Because their backs have been broken by 5,000 years of casteism. 
They are not humble. They are servile. Servility and humility are two different things. Humble ones are those who willingly, cheerfully accept the word of God and says, it doesn't matter what happens, I'm obeying it. In Isaiah 119, God says, if you're willing and obedient, if you're willing, first thing God looks is, are you willing? Are you willing and obedient? In 2 Corinthians 9, 7 scripture says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, okay, willingly, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful. When you obey God in anything, even if it is coming to church on time and cleaning the seats or setting up the instruments or cleaning the carpet, anything that you do for God, is it willingly? Is it cheerfully? And is it obedient to his instructions? That is humility. So the question is, God gives more grace to the humble. But the humble obey the word of God. David was incredibly humble because he obeyed the word of God. So the question is, can I stand on scripture alone? Because for many, many, faith is not in God. Their faith is in their faith. Or their faith is in some preacher on TV or some book they picked up from the store. Not in the God of the scriptures. The balance Balance has to come from knowing him. Paul will tell the Roman church, know the kindness of God and the severity. We only want to know kindness. Manchu Papa. Only Manchu, my daddy is the best. My daddy is the tallest, the strongest, the best. If daddy scolds you, pitch it. I'm picking these words from where I have heard children say this. Okay, I don't understand Telugu, but I understood what the child said. Okay? Severe and kindness. Balance it. And I will show you one portion where it is so beautifully balanced in the great chapter on faith in Hebrews chapter 11. What God is. Hebrews 11, about people through faith. They, through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, Obtain promises, stop the mouth of lions, quench the violence of fires, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight armies of the alien. We love all that. Wow, boy, that's what I want to do. Women receive their dead, raised to life again. Then it changes. Then it changes. Narrative changes. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Then... Next portion. They were stoned. Ayyo, they were not rescued from stones. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. This is all in the new covenant, okay, by the way. Where preachers preach, none of these things will happen. No suffering, no pain, no sorrow, nothing, only victory. No, they were sawn. This is victorious. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted. Because today, if you say you are a destitute, they will say, brother, you don't believe. That's why you are destitute. But scripture said there were millions who were destitute because of their faith. Afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Even today, you go to the Middle East, you go to Afghanistan, you will see believers living in the caves because they are not considered worthy. They are found, they will be killed. Then, and all these having obtained a good testimony through their faith, who both categories obtained a good testimony through their faith, did not receive the promise. Why? God is waiting for the last day. 
so that all will be rewarded. Get the balance. If you don't know who he is, you will only believe one side of the gospel, the prosperity side, the painlessness side. You won't believe the other side and you start questioning God when things start going wrong in your life. Because we don't balance scripture, we don't know who he really is. They were all commended for their faith. So the question is, there is sickness and there is healing. Do you only believe in healing? You don't believe in sickness? If you only believe in healing and you don't believe in sickness, then God is not sovereign in your life. What does Deuteronomy, th- uh, sorry, Exodus 4.11 say? So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the see or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Or you thought blindness was from the devil and sight was from God. God says, no, everything is from me. I make the blind and the seeing. The deaf, the mute and the speaking. It's from me. To the writer of the law, the first five books, he's getting a new theology of what God is. God says, I am sovereign. Don't put me into boxes. This is the God I worship. He said, then you are a Hindu. My specific God is my God, is my healer. Only healing comes from God. God says, no. I can make eyes blind. I can make eyes open. I can make ears hear. I can mute ears too. Do we balance? Because otherwise you'll get miserable. You'll get miserable. Balance everything. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? Oh, Lord, you wrote in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 14, it's not good for man to be single. Yeah? What did he write in Corinthians 7.1? All the unmarried ones, read this first before you read that one. Now concerning things of which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And Ivy will say, it's not good for a man not to marry. Paul says, I wish everybody was like me. He says, I believe, Paul said, I wish everybody was single. Get it balanced. Oh Lord, what happened if Paul read Genesis 2.14 and said, Lord, you wrote, you wrote, wrote. You have the most miserable man. You see, marriage is a gift from God. Singleness is also a gift from God. You have to accept both. Balance it. But so many people don't understand scripture. They, when they ask God, is one track man, Lord, who is my wife? God says, I called you to be single. You're asking the wrong question. If I'm right, it's in Jeremiah 16, right? Yeah. Je- 16.1, Jeremiah 16.1. Imagine Jeremiah, if he prayed from Genesis 2. What did he say in Jeremiah 16 and verse 1? The Lord also came to him saying, you shall not take a wife. Nor shall you have your sons or daughters. No wife, no children. Is that the will of God for him? Yes, that's the will of God for him. So balance scripture always. To one he will say, you need to have a baby. To another he says, blessed are you barren woman, your children shall be more. Balance. Balance scripture. Balance. Because there are a lot of unbalanced scriptural people there. Only one side of scripture they look and they make people miserable. Because the whole thing is that, will I stand on the word of God alone? Not once which I like, but every word of God. That's why Jesus tells 
Man shall not live by bread alone, by every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You have Bible in the Bible, people receiving wealth. You have people in the Bible losing wealth. Don't go by the book of Job alone. I will show you scripture. The book of Hebrews. Because preachers come and mess your mind up because you don't understand scripture. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 32 to 34. Hebrews 10, 32 to 34. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. First thing that we need is our eyes need to be open to understand who he is. Understand the God of scriptures. You endured a great struggle with sufferings. As soon as your eyes were opened, what came? Not prosperity, sufferings in their case. Enormous sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations. You made a public spectacle. Reproaches and tribulations. And partly while you became companions of those who were treated. treated. Many. It has happened down for 2000 years. Those who were persecuted when they were being publicly being persecuted. And the crowd is watching. Somebody in the crowd, many in the crowd are so badly convicted by the Holy Spirit, they go and join that group. Sorry, I believe. And they go, join the group that is being persecuted. They also get beaten up. Because you became companions with those who were treated. And then verse 34, If you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Governments. Governments. It's been the history of every government. The minute you acknowledge you are a believer, it's a hostile government, you lose. You lose. That's what's happening in India. They're checking out on the papers of every Christian property to know where did your property come from. They're not checking Hindu properties. They're not looking at any land on which temples are built. They're checking on which lands the churches are built. Why? We will take your property because we know our history. Sometime back this property was Hindu. Are you willing to lose for your faith? They're checking in every state. That's why all land records are being digitalized. Agenda is there behind it. But the question is, what are you standing on? If they bring a document by 400 years ago, this huge 200-year-old church was built on land which was donated by a Hindu king, they will take it away. Then what are you going to do? Fight? No, because our worship is not constrained to buildings. We can worship anywhere because God's body is no longer a building. It is his people, a people who stand on scripture and scripture alone. You go to Europe, anywhere, huge, huge cathedrals, which you can see 10,000, 50,000, 20,000 people. How many people gather there on a Sunday to worship now? Ten? There are the worshippers in houses meeting. They don't need buildings. So what is your faith on? Is it built on the word of God or imagination? Are you willing to face both? Are you willing? Are you willing to lose for Christ and only gain? Both. Both. And we need to be prepared and always know where we are standing on. Everything has to be balanced with scripture. God is this. God is also this. And whatever comes, that's what, that is Job's wife's theology and Job's theology. 
Job's wife's theology is that only prosperity. And if you don't prosper, curse God and die. Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will go. He gave, he took away. He's got the right to do both. To give or to take away. That is balanced theology. Balanced. Paul will tell, I came to you because of a sickness. Paul will tell Timothy, Timothy, you are sick all the time. Why? He couldn't lay hands upon him and he be healed. Wasn't there enough apostles around? He says, no. We can be sick. Can be sick. God may heal, God may. There is, you cannot put him in a box and says, I am healed. It is written. God says, it is also written. I have been healed. Elijah was a great prophet. Elisha was greater in terms of miracle. Elijah was taken up alive. He didn't see death. Elisha died of his sickness. How did Elisha die? Of his sickness. There was so much anointing upon Elisha, even in his death. Anointing would heal him from the sickness, but when the anointing fell on a dead body, the dead body arose and lived for many years, but that same anointing didn't heal him. Do you understand God's ways? Or are you going to put him in a box? I am ill, I never got healed, I'm not going to go to church again. No, there's no theology like that. The theology is God is God. And anyone who comes to God must believe who he is. Do you know who he is? Do we know who he is? Understand. Get balance. Don't get fooled by preachers who don't balance scriptures. If he heals, he heals. If he doesn't heal, he doesn't heal. But we serve God and we stand on his word alone. I am not dependent on anything that God will do for me anymore. He's already done for me for all that I need for eternity. He died for me. That's enough. And if he does anything else, I'm perfectly fine with it. Balance. Balance. Balance scripture. Scripture says in Hebrews 11.6, you must honestly seek him. Honestly seek him. He's a rewarder of those who... Oh, diligently, earnestly seek him. In the book of Jeremiah, this is what he says. Yeah. If you, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Are we searching? No, we are not searching. Honestly, most people are not searching. They are not searching for him. They are searching to see what they can get out of him. They are not searching for him. God didn't say that. He said, if you search for me, you will find me. You will find me. Because if you don't balance scripture, parents put, put pressure on children, children put pressure on children, churches put children pressure on congregation, everybody puts. The one who is supposed to be single is married, the one who is supposed to be married is trying to be single. Paul said, please, understand whatever state you are in, stay that way. Stay that way. Bible is very clear. One said group will say, no divorce in the New Testament. One group will say, no divorce is there. Bible is very clear in the new covenant. If there is violence in your marriage, separation. But divorce on two grounds. If one partner has committed adultery, you are free to go. If an unbelieving spouse leaves, you are free. Two grounds for divorce, one for separation. Very clear. Absolutely clear. Will you stand on scripture? Will you stand on scripture? Can you stand and your strength comes from scripture? Because this is what you face. Oh, my wife has left. So what do you want me to do? No, pastor, will you pray? I said, I can pray. Does she believe? Uh, no, she doesn't. So why do you want her back? 
Are you standing on your feelings or are you standing on the word of God? You want to be again miserable when the unbelieving one comes back? And Odin starts, the friction starts. It's all of our faith, right? Yes. It's all of our faith, right? What do you want? No, but... But what? That's what does scripture say? And the same token scripture says, No, my wife doesn't believe anymore. So, pastor, I should divorce. God says, does she want to stay? Yes. You cannot divorce. That's also scripture. Can you stand on scripture alone? This is scripture. Sola scripture. In every area of life, sola scripture. Not what you feel. Not what your mom and dad tell you. Not what society tells you. Not what even denominations tell you. What does scripture say? Can you stand on it? Can you? That's what God is talking about. To every man, he comes and speaks. In Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. The problem is, do we know the thoughts he thinks about us? Says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Do we know what peace is in the first place? Thoughts of peace. Oh Lord, I will have no trouble. He said, that's not peace. Peace is not the absence of trouble. And not of evil. Oh, no evil. He said, do you know evil and good? Who told you to choose between evil and good? I tell you what is good and what is evil. When did you become the arbiter of what is evil and good? We don't even understand this. Because we have decided what is evil. We have decided what is peace. And we have decided God's thoughts. Think like this way. Okay? About me, you should think this way. If you think about him that way, it is okay. But me, think this way. I'm not saying God thinks all the plans are perfect, the good, but it works in his ways which we don't understand. Listen to the first king of Israel, Saul, chosen by man, but chosen. This is what I tell people. Okay, pastor, my elders elected me, now I am the pastor. I said, so? He said, listen, Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Okay, man chose you. But if you had been faithful, God would have still established him. There are a lot of people chosen by man. That's not the point. Okay, they chose you and you are put over there. You are in a position. Will you be faithful to God? If you will be faithful to God, God would have established your kingdom forever. Is God a good God? Yes, he's a good God. He says, only thing, Saul, stand on my word, walk on my word, and keep my commandments, and I will establish your kingdom. Not for one generation, two generations, for ever. If this man had believed, no David, no Solomon, nothing. It would have been Jonathan and others. But said, I'm faithful. I'm not a respecter person. Anybody who obeys me, I will pick you. So what? You are a looker of donkeys. You are a keeper of donkeys. Doesn't matter. Now, just don't act like a donkey. Just obey my word. Keep my commandments. I will establish your house forever. Then comes David, a shepherd boy. To David, what does God say? When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David, okay, you also. I like you. You kept my word. You obeyed. You made a lot of goof-ups, but you were very obedient in your repentance. That's also obedience. So I will establish your house forever. 
Same God. Stand on my word. Obey my word. I will establish you. Next king comes, Solomon. What does God say to Solomon? The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Now, listen Solomon. If you walk before me as your father, David walked, in the integrity of heart and in the uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. The same God coming to Saul, saying the same thing. David, the same thing. Then he's telling whom? Solomon. Is he a respecter of person? He says, the only thing I will ask from you is, will you obey my word? That's all he asks. I have spoken. I am king. I am sovereign. This is all mine. My word is life. Will you keep my word? After Solomon, the kingdom broke into two. He has got a son. And he's got an official. Rehoboam. And Jeroboam, one is his son, one is an official who? One has got two tribes, one has got ten. Judah and Israel. Israel is being ruled by whom? An official who took over ten tribes. Interesting. First Kings chapter 11, verse 26. Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and Ephraimite, from Zerida, whose mother's name was Anabido, also rebelled against the king. That's his beginning. How did he? He rebelled against Solomon's son. But what does God say to him in verses 29 to 31? Now it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem, the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way and he had clothed himself with a new garment and the two were alone in the field. Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. Prophets are interesting. They hear and they do what God says. They took it. He took his new garment, tore it into 12 pieces. What did he do? Then he said to Jeroboam, take yourself for 10 pieces. 10 pieces is for you. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, behold, I tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and I will give 10 tribes to you. Yeah, take it. 10 tribes are yours. You get it? 2 to Solomon's son, 10 to you. Has God spoken? Now listen to what he tells in verse 37 and 38. So I will take you and you shall reign over all your heart's desires and you shall be king over Israel. This fellow is not the son of David or Solomon. He is an official. God picked him and said 10 for you. Then it shall be. Listen to what God is saying. If you heed all I have commanded you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes my commandments, as my servant David did, not as your father David did, but as my servant to you. I'm telling you, not your father David, as my servant David did. Then I will be with you, build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. Is God good? God a respecter of persons? He calls Jeroboam and says, who are you? A servant, right? I'm giving you ten tribes and the kingdom of Israel. If you walk the way David walked, I'll build your house also for you. The same God comes and tells everyone, will you lift this above everything else? Will you stand on my word and obey what I have said? I will build your house for you. I'll, I'll be the same God. I'll be the God of David, the God of Solomon, and the God of Jeroboam. But the question is, will Jeroboam trust God? Will we trust God? We have many voices. 
God's promise is there, spoken through the prophet. And it comes exactly as the prophet has said, he gets Israel and ten tribes. Then he started thinking thoughts. First Kings chapter 12, verse 26 to 27. Jeroboam said in his heart. What did he say? Heart. That the kingdom may return to the house of? How can it return to the house of God? It will go over God's word. That's what happened to David also, right? Welcome going from Saul. God protected him, protected him. Nothing could Saul do. One step ahead, David all over. One day he thought in his head. What did he think in his heart? If it goes like this, one day Saul will kill you. What did God say about you? Oh, I'm going to put your thoughts above what God has spoken. What has Ahijah, God spoken through Ahijah over you, Jeroboam? God will establish me. Just stand on my word, obey my word. He says, no, one day the kingdom may return to David. Judah is there. Israel is there. Jerusalem is in Judah. And the rest of the country is with me. So, if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of these people will turn back to the Lord, Jeroboam. So, how will I think if I am Jeroboam? Aaron? Just illustration, okay. Where were you on Thursday? Oh, no, I went to Aegis. Oh, you went to Akshay, where you were on Thursday? Oh, I went to Aegis. Where were you? I went to Aegis. Sam, where you were on Thursday? Oh, Aegis. What do you happens on Aegis on Thursdays? Oh, they have Bible study. Oh, if they keep on going to Aegis on Thursdays, then I will lose my people. I'm starting a Bible study on Thursdays. You know how churches begin Bible studies? Not because they want to teach the children, because they don't want to lose the children. So, people will go to Jerusalem. Where? In Judah. And when everybody from Israel goes to Judah, slowly Solomon's son will start taking my people. So what will I do? They will go back to their Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Are you getting it? So what did he do? Yeah. Therefore the king asked the advice. There are many advices. Made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Why do you go to Jerusalem to worship? Instead, I will do one thing, okay? Here are your gods of Israel which brought you out of the land from Egypt. So you have a tradition also. Who said this first? Aaron said this first. Do you know your father's traditions? Here, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. What did he do? He set up one in Bethel and one in then the boundaries of his land, Bethel. Okay. If you are living here, you go there. If you are living here, you go there. Don't go to Jerusalem, please. You see? What does scripture say? In verse 30, this thing became a sin for the people when to worship before the one as far as Dan. Snare comes. Did he believe? Did he obey? Did he obey? No, he didn't. He didn't. Did God say this? Did God say this? No. Did he stand on the word of God? In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 38. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, and walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep all the statutes, my commandments, as my servant David, then I will be with you and build you for He said, you don't have to do any of these things, just obey me. 
I am the one who establishes, not people. Not people. So where is the problem? The problem is this. We did not listen to the instructions of God in the word. We didn't. Where are the conflicts in the homes? Oh, there are so, no, money is not the problem. The problem is we did not obey the word of God. Men be men. Husband is the head of the house, be the head and not the neck or the tail. God said, why I am the head? Lead. Love your wives as Christ loved. Washing by the water, not hosing. The one who hoses is a fireman to put out a fire. Jesus is not hosing, he is washing. Wives, submit your husband in certain things. In all things. There is no rider there. All things as unto the Lord. How does the church submit to Christ? In the same way with the wife. Trouble is over. You won't have trouble in your home. It always takes two to clap. No trouble if you just obey scripture. Even if your husband doesn't believe, scripture says in First Peter that if you learn to shut your mouth, your husband will believe. Because he doesn't lead, but you accept him as your leader because it is written. Not because he's a genuine or a natural born leader, but it is written to you in your word in, by your God who believes he, whom he doesn't. It works. It works. Children, obey your parents. I'm going nowhere. Why? Do you skip scripture? Employees submit your authorities. Do you obey scripture? Let the others do whatever they want. It is not written to them. It is written to you. Jesus said, if you obey and walk in my statutes, I will establish you. Everywhere issue comes. People will try to. That's what I said. Whenever people come to me about issues, I have pastors coming in every week now because they're all having problems in their churches. They come and ask me, Pastor, what do you want me to do? I said, what is the issue? What is the issue? This is the issue. I said, what is it written? I don't give you counsel. I'll give you scripture. What is written? What is written? Half the churches have trouble. Why? Should a woman cover her head or not cover her head? After so many years in the Lord, you still are not clear about scripture? When it comes to covering the head, Jesus does not even go to the beginning. When it comes about marriage, he said it was not the way in the beginning. When it comes to covering, God goes before the beginning. He says because of the angels. There are a whole lot of angels who will never submit to authority. You women, show them you are under a covering. All the one third of the rebellious angels, when they see the women who praise or prophesy with the head covered, he's telling, he's telling them, that's my daughter. She learned from them. Because scripture says the wisdom of Christ is being explained to the angelic host through the church. And the women are teaching the angelic host by their submission. And it's not your hair which is your covering. Hair is your glory. Hair is your glory. In the house of God, only Christ gets glory. Man reflects the glory of Christ, so man will not cover his head when he is preaching. While the woman reflects the glory of man, therefore she will cover. Do you have issues? Paul says we have no other instruction to all the churches. We fight with scripture. And everybody, doesn't matter how great preacher he is, everybody when they say no, it is, it 
You know what he brings? He brings extra biblical sources. He will say, no, this was the culture of Corinth. Where it is written? Where is it written? Who told you that? First, second question God asked Adam. Who told you this? Is it written in scripture? From the high priest down to every Levite, every Jew, when he prayed, what did he do? He covered his head. After Christ, man, God tells the man, don't cover your head. Is it easier for Paul to pray with his head covered or head uncovered? It's for, for all his life as a devout Jew, he has covered his head and prayed. Now God says, take it off. While every woman covered her head anyway. So it was not a difficult thing for the woman. It was a difficult thing for a man. But the men obeyed. Now it has become a difficult thing for the woman. Why? You are not fighting man. You are fighting scripture. Let not a woman teach. It's not talking about a church setting. Where does God go? All the way back to the beginning. He says it was not a man who was deceived. It was a woman who was deceived. Therefore let not a woman teach. Because deception comes through teaching. He says you are emotional. You are easily susceptible to Deception than men. Therefore God says the teaching ministry, I'm keeping it away from the women. Will you accept? No, I love Joyce Meyer. What has she brought you to? Chaos in the Western church? No, understand scripture. We stand on the authority of God's word. and God's word alone. Let the elder be the wife of, what does scripture say? That's what it says. Husband of. Every letter is very clearly husband of, husband of, husband of. Why God is not gender neutral? Why couldn't he say wife also of? Scripture, scripture, scripture. We stand on scripture. Scripture alone. Nothing else. Scripture alone. That's where our freedom comes. I would rather err on the side of written scripture than make a mistake. If you stand before him that day and if he tells me, James, that's not the way I meant it, I say, Lord, it's okay. That's the way I read it. He said, okay. I give you benefit of doubt. At least you went by the letter. Understand how scripture works. Does it mean women should not? No. Scripture says if a woman prays or prophesies, let her be under a covering. So whenever I have let women teach, I tell them, don't teach doctrine. That's my job, not yours. That's Vijay's job, not yours. Encourage, exhort, don't teach doctrine. Doctrine is set by men. All the apostles' doctrine. They gathered daily for the apostles' doctrine. Jesus was anti-culture, yet he chose no women as his apostle. Why? Because he says headship comes from man, not from women. What is the order in the home is the order in the church. The order in the church becomes the order in the society. That is God's order. That was God's order. It will be God's order. But when we go into resurrection, there is no male or female. You will be judged by your submission and your obedience to your order. Then women will rule. Why? Because they are no longer women. But why will they rule? Because they learn to submit to God's order. Why will men rule? Because they learn to submit to God's order. They don't know you are put in a trap over here. This has got nothing to do with culture. This is God to do with God's order. 
For 2,000 years, 5,000 years, 6,000 years, there was no issue. Order was very clear. Everybody knew. Men went to work. Women brought up the home. Men went to work. Women went to stay at home. Brought. Now we changed it all in the name of liberty. What has happened? Rule after rule after rule after rule. Every service rule has to be changed to protect women at a workplace. Sexual harassment. There was no sexual harassment for 6,000 years. Because they knew their space and their order. They built their homes and sent their children who became great. The men went out to work and came and took care of the home. We changed order for culture, not for the word of God. Do not look at aberrations in evil times like Deborah and make it into scripture. No, those were evil fallen times. Even then when Deborah stands up, she says, Barak, you lead. He says, no, you come with me. She says, if you are not willing to lead today, glory will go to a woman. You are called to lead, not me. Understand scripture, understands young people. When my wife tells me this one is not studying well, I said, does she know how to cook? When she gets married, if she gets a husband like me, the thing I'm going to ask her is, do you know how to cook? Not how much you bring home. Does she know how to cook? Does she take care of children? Can she run a home? That's what you should be trained in. What's the point in having a PhD and you cannot cook? How are you going to run your home? You're going to fast food your children? That's what has happened. The entire generation has gone obese and ill because parents are outsourcing food from outside. Why? Because a generation of mothers have come who don't know how to cook. And you have sacrificed your children and the altar of Babel. Your children are paying the price. Buy it, nuke it, feed it. A little later, he is like a drug addict. God said, the father is the door of the house. He lets what is inside and keeps. And he said, your mother, you are the guardians of your children's bodies. You allow what is in, what goes in. You watch over them. Build your home. Young ones, newly married, unmarried, get scripture in. Don't be pressurized. by. I will tell you young ones over here from GSS, if you don't do well in studies, Pastor James will never scold you. I will ask you, do you know how to cook? Do you know how to keep a home? Do you know how to submit and love your husband? Praise God, you are set for life. You will do well. I won't ask you what's your marks in mathematics and physics and entrance and all. If you do, okay. But I'm not excited by this. I go by scripture. Because we have to restore God's order in the last days. How God order. And when the world which is full of conflict sees a set of people who are walking in peace under tribulation, they'll say, you know what? Their God is God. They have peace because God is in their midst. And God is in their midst because they walk according to his commandments and statutes. I'm not anti-woman. I am for woman according to God's purpose. I'm not anti-man either. I am for man according to God's purpose as I see in scripture. It's difficult to accept the word of God if your mind is not framed by the word of God. That's why I said, First question is not, what should I do? Paul said, what should I do? God said, hero, you got so many things in your heart to be settled. Go settle this, then I will tell you what to do. Three days in blindness, you realize what a wretch I am. God said, now you see? Yes. Now I will tell you what to do. Now you are clean? Okay. Oh, Moses, okay. Deep inside. Are you sending me? Yes. Power? Yes. Okay. I go? Yes. 
final. Wait a second, Moses. Even you are not ready to go. Show me your hand. Do you see your hand? It is this hand which has to hold my rod. Show me your hand. Does it look good? Yes. Put it across on your heart. I'm going to do a miracle before your eyes. Your hand will reveal your heart. Looks leprous. This is your heart. This will be your work. I have chosen you, not because you are great. I have chosen you because you are weak. Put it back. Is it cleansed? Now go deliver my people with that stick. But before you go reach Egypt, one more thing needs to be put right in your house. You are going to lead Israel, right? How can you lead Israel before you lead your home? Savior of Israel, but I can't lead my house. He is almost dead of a sickness on the road. The Lord struck Moses with a sickness that he almost died. What is the reason? Wife is there with him, two, with two children, and they have not been circumcised. Why? Because wife will not allow them to be circumcised. God tells Zephora, two choices. Either your husband dies or your children live. What do you want? She says, okay. Here, your husband of blood for me. God says, arise and walk. Now you have started leading your house again. God's order doesn't change. It's the same for Moses, the same for you and me. It doesn't change. To be married is God's call, to be single is God's call. To lead is God's call, to follow is God's call. It is all in Christ. God, Christ submitted to the Father in all things. And he tells wife, submit your husband in all things. Christ led the church in all things. And he tells the husband, lead your family in all things. Can you be led? Can you follow? It's a question. Sometimes leading can be terrible by ungodly men like Abraham. Oh, I'd say you are my sister. God said she followed and I saved her. I'm not saying you will be ever caught in that situation. But remember, your husband sold you out. But God's hand is over that woman saying, you know what, I watched you. You listened to your husband, you submitted. Pharaoh won't lay a finger on you because I'm there with you. Abraham is lying there sleepless night. Sarah is sleeping nicely because God is with her and he is alone. God has said it very clearly. I am with the one who is meek. In that situation, Sarah was meek. Abraham was not. Abraham cannot hear from God. Nobody can hear from God. Pharaoh hears from God. He hears. Then he gives Abraham a lecture. Like Gentiles will give Christians lectures in their workplaces. Why didn't you tell me? Right? Now everybody is woken up. Nicely woken. If you talk about marriage, everybody wakes up. <laughs> everybody wakes up. I've understood with the young generation, the only thing you have to do, you can have the whole message on something else in between bring marriage, they all wake up. <laughs> so in many churches, marriage is the carriage in which you take them from point to point. <laughs> We'll continue on Wednesday. On Wednesday. Added incentive for you to come on Wednesday. But the word of God is absolutely certain. Absolutely certain. Jeroboam doesn't have to do anything other than obey God. He doesn't have to listen to the counsel of the people. He doesn't have to listen to his own voices. God has said, 
Our job is to seek his ways, seek his counsel, seek his commandments. Not culture. Vijay and I spend hours and hours studying the word. We read others, but we go into this because we know we've been called for a time like this to restore doctrine. You can do whatever you want to do in this world. Salvation will only come through the preaching of the word. No other way. No other way. Only through the preaching of the word. That is God said. Salvation will come only through the word. Preaching of the word. How can they be saved if they are not, if they do not hear? And how will they hear if they are not sent? So most people are in the sending ministry. Few are called to the speaking ministry. But salvation comes through speaking. No other way. And the Holy Spirit won't do one thing unless he hears the word. Because scripture says from the beginning till the end, the Holy Spirit is hovering, waiting for the word to come. When the word comes, he watches over the word to see whether it is his word or misconstrued word. Jeremiah one twelve, God says, I watch over my word to perform it. The Holy Spirit is hovering. And when God says, let there be light, then only he works. Otherwise, he doesn't work. should be able to stand on faith and faith alone. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. The word of God alone. This. Learn, memorize when you are young. I struggle. Because I cannot memorize now, too old to read the scriptures and memorize my brain doesn't. You are all young. All young. Memorize scripture. Hide it in your heart. Memorize scripture. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he can pick out of your heart and say, Deepika, you are going through this. Psalm 119 verse 89 is the word. It just rises and you know God has spoken. Because you have memorized. You have memorized. You have memorized. You have hidden it in your heart. This is the season to memorize because you can. You are young. You can. You can. Memorize. Rest of all, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Ultimately, heaven and earth will pass away. Two things will not pass away. The word of God will not pass away. The man, the woman who did the will of God does not pass away. That's what scripture says. Both live forever and ever. Amen? Shall we stand? Father, this morning we just come to you. We stand on your word, O oh Father. We stand, we live, we die on your word. For you alone are worthy to be praised. You alone are to be worshipped. As Daniel's three friends stood, we don't put any conditions to you for serving you. If you want to save us from the flames, you can. If you don't, that's also your prerogative. We know our stand. We will only worship you. We will only worship you, Lord. Your word says anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. And is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And you have said in Jeremiah that if we seek you with all our heart, we will find you. You have revealed yourself through your angels, through your prophets through your son, then through the apostles. Help us to meditate upon your word day and night. Help us to lift this word about culture, about family, about society, about our feelings, about how we perceive life, about everything else. Help us to lift your word. 
Not only in favorable circumstances, but even in the most unfavorable circumstances, Lord. Help us to lift. Because all who were commended for faith, some got their dead back, some chose to die. Some won through the sword, some were cut into two by the sword, but all were commended for their faith because they all stood on the same word. Help us to see as you see. Help us to obey what you have spoken, what it is written, what it is clear. Help us. Help us not to pick and choose the word like Jehoiakim. Help us not to cut away pieces of the word that we dislike and throw it into the fire as Jehoiakim. And you told Jehoiakim, because you cut my word, you will die the death of a donkey. You will be that one king who will never be buried and kept in the tombs of the kings. Because you cut my word, you picked and chose what you liked. Help us not to have the heart of Jehoiakim, Lord. Help us to receive your word as it is. Unvarnished. Just as it is. Knowing the kindness and the severity of God. The word says, if we continue in your kindness. Help us constantly repent in our lives. From every area we have erred from your word. We all have gone away astray from the word. But when we hear your spirit speak, help us to turn back to your word. That's where our salvation lies. That is where our freedom lies. That's where our liberty lies. And I pray today, Lord, we will seek you. We will seek you constantly. Constantly seek you. In our home, we will seek you. In our personal lives, we will seek you. In our workplaces, we will seek you. Everywhere we go, we will seek you and we will lift your word above everything else. We will allow your word to govern our actions. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. As we go into another week, I pray your presence be with us. Go with us. Go before us. And help us also to walk before you, to be constantly corrected by you, that we may be found blameless in your sight. Oh, Father, let we not ever turn away from your correcting hand. But receive it, because it's life for us. Bless your people, protect your people, preserve your people, keep your people. And keep them close to you, Lord. All of us, keep us close to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name, Lord, today. Bless your holy name, bless your holy name, bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.